Hi everyone, before we go into the podcast, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm super grateful for your continued loyalty and support. If you could do me a quick favour, if you could give me a review on Apple Podcasts, it really helps the algorithm and it will help this podcast go up the lists. If there are any subjects or topics that you want me to cover, uh, then please do reach out to me on uh, DM on LinkedIn and I will do my best to find the best guest for that subject or topic. This is the Absolute Business Mindset Podcast, created and hosted by Mark Hayward. This podcast will interview entrepreneurs, business owners and careerists. We will delve into their journey to success, key life milestones and go deep into the area of expertise. Get ready to learn from other successes and failures. Today we have Martin Thomas, who is a wealth management advisor. Hello, Martin. How are you? How are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Um, so let's, let, we usually start with education. So what was your experience of education when you were younger? Um, I probably keep on saying if I'm honest in these podcasts because that's what I like. Um, if I'm honest again, um, I couldn't wait to get out of school. When I was in um, primary school, they said I was going to pass my 11 plus and go to what is called grammar school in the UK. I failed that. Went to secondary school. Um, didn't really, all the teachers were saying about me, he's got, he's got it in him, but he doesn't want to apply it. So I left school, couldn't wait to get out of school. Went to um, what is called tech college. Um, did fairly well there, but didn't come out with that much at all. So my my education really is that there's a saying in life, university of life. That's what I've learned about myself in all the years that I've been uh, adapting, changing, being self-aware, etc. So <clears throat> primary education, secondary education, wasn't that clever. Never been to university, never went near university, but I learned a lot. And one big thing about my education is as a financial advisor in the UK, um, you have to be what is called diploma qualified. And that's, I've got that diploma in financial planning. And that's equivalent of to like um, a second year grade in degree level. So I've made up for that since I left school. Okay. <coughs> Thank you. Um, what did you learn? So you said you, you, you learned from, from life. And so until you were, let's say, sort of early 20s, what did you learn from life? What, what were the, the lessons that you learned from, from those early experiences? I think what I learned, one big thing um, in my late teens, <coughs> excuse me, early 20s, I joined the Her, Majesty For- Her Majesty's Forces, Reserve Forces, the Territorial Army. And what I quickly learned, it was, I was very good at what I was doing if I was uh, if I really enjoyed it. So <coughs> when I joined the Territorial Army, excuse me, mate, I applied myself. I was very good at what I did. I was self-aware. I put 150% in and I got promoted very quickly. And, you know, at a young age, I was um, quite a senior level in my early 20s. And then I went on to be commissioned in Her Majesty's Forces and got a commission in Sanders. So from school, not trying, finding something I really enjoyed and then applied myself 150% into that and did very well at it. Um. You've mentioned a couple of times already that you think you talked about being self-aware. So mm-hmm. emotional intelligence and being so uh, uh, um, self-aware, 
it's something a lot of people actually struggle with and, mm-hmm. and they, they some people go get to their 50s and they never really understand who they are what they stand for what values they stand for what gave you that what gave you that ability to be self-aware and emotional intelligence oh that's a good question i always say to my son um you, i don't think you can teach awareness self-awareness you've either got the skill to adapt it which i have um and i I, I found that skill earlier on, and I <clears throat> one one quick story. When I was in the Territorial Army, um, I used to see people training people on ranges, indoor ranges, which was quite boring. So I thought to myself, right, I'm going to do that a bit differently. So I was aware at the time what I needed to change to be better to actually instruct my troops at the time, which they enjoyed it. So I, I could spot things that needs that needs to be changed, and then literally change them so i've got i always look at things and think how not to do things and how then to do it better do you see what i mean yeah yeah so it's how can i describe it it's just having that um awareness is you know moving off to my driving i've been driving for lots and lots of years i've got a lot of self good self-awareness around me and what's going on you know outside of the bubble that i'm in so i I've just got that skill, basically. How I developed that, I've just keep, kept on developing it, learning from it. Um, but I think self-awareness in life is a really, if you've got really good self-awareness, I think you go a long way, personally. It's a superpower, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned that you, um, before we get into your financial advisor uh, roles <coughs> in early days, um, <clears throat> you talked about being in the military and being... Um, do you think that gave you the education that was lacking in secondary, in, in sort of formative schools? Do you think, do you think you, you learnt mm. experiences and you had experiences and learnt things that in the military that you possibly wouldn't have done if you'd have done the traditional route of school and, and school and. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I think you can analyze again, being aware of things. You can analyze school. I, I just didn't enjoy school. It didn't, um, when looking back, I just found it boring. It was not challenging me uh, in any way. Uh, I probably had it in me because all my reports said the guy knows what he's doing, he's got skills and everything else, but he just want to bother. And I look back at that and I think it was just boredom. Nothing sort of um, floated my boat. When I went into the military, I found something that I really enjoyed. And then I then put 150, 200% into that, basically. Um, and again, I learned a lot about myself in the military. I learned I was, I've been put under immense physical and mental pressure um, by doing that. Now, I wasn't put under that in school, obviously. Um, so in my early 20s, uh, when I went to go to Sandhurst, the Royal Military Academy, yeah. for two weeks, it's immense. And I mean immense physical and mental pressure because ultimately they want people to lead their troops into a wartime situation and not crack up basically so you've got to have that it's not so much it is the physicality or the physical fitness but it's the mental fitness so they push you to the limit literally over the limit to actually um well in, in plain english to see if they can crack you because what they don't want to do is they go into a real life situation where you can't cope you can't lead people you fold under pressure so they so they push you to the extreme and i mean the extreme lack of sleep um, push beyond your mental and physical boundaries, basically. What type of leader are you? Um, I'm a leader that leads by example. Um, 
like take control of things. I'll give you another quick example. Um, I was involved in a car crash a couple of weeks ago. I got shunted from behind. Nothing, I was all right. Um, somebody just hit me at about 35 miles an hour. Mm. And immediately when I got out of the car, I took charge. I could see people were panicking. So I reassured people, calmed people down, um, said to a girl, <clears throat> are you ringing 999 emergency services? And she said yes. And automatically she sussed me out and said, you look like you know what you're doing. You've got something about you. Get onto the phone. So I, I can't sit back and just let things happen. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question right, but I just want to take charge. Um, I just get people to follow me. And I think a lot of that comes down with <clears throat> confidence that you've got. What aura you bring to the table. And I think people then will follow you because of your confidence, your aura. Um, what comes out of your mouth really. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think leaders, leaders come in many different varieties, but you, uh, you strike me after having a couple of conversations with, with you, Martin, that you are, your, your, your personality is, has been defined by the military. I generally, like, I think that it, it, mm. it, the way that you approach situations, <clears throat> the way that you, you talk to me and you probably talk to other people, it's with authority, it's with calmness. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't you don't flap like some people get into situations and, and that's probably because you've been pushed as you just said you've been pushed to the brink and, and, and you haven't broken so um so i think i think that's a that's a, a really strong sort of quality okay so let's go you became a financial advisor in is it right in the 80s yeah 19, 1987 and so that's uh, not getting political, but that's Thatcher era. That's money, greed, all those sorts of things. Did you? Yeah, get everything else. Yeah. Did you get caught up in that? Did you get caught up in the the, the sort of ethos for as you're in the financial sector? Yeah, I joined, I joined um, a leading bank uh, as a financial advisor. And again, I took a big risk to do that. Um, you know, we can talk about risk taking all day, but I. I left a job that was secure. I was a civil servant. I had three young children. And then I saw an advert in the paper to actually go and promote and sell pensions and investments to people. Never done it. Everybody at the time, this is life in general, said, don't do it. It won't work for you. You won't succeed. It's hard. I didn't listen to anybody. I went by my own instincts and took an enormous risk and gamble. Never done that in my life before. So came from a secure job into a job that wasn't secure and jumped into that world. Did I get involved in all of that sort of Thatcher era? Um, yuppies, I think they used to call them back in the 80s. Um, no, not really. I, I just went out and tried my best and wanted to be successful uh, in the job that I was doing, and I was. And it's, it, do you think the, the independence of being an independent financial advisor, so you're not affiliated to, to you, you're there to give advice, like sort of mm-hmm. objective advice. Um, do you think that, that, that suited your personality? Cause it kind of, it kind of makes me think that it does because you, you, you could be objective across whatever they're deciding, if it's pensions or life assurance or whatever, yeah. they're yeah. making decisions. What are the skill sets of being a financial advisor? And I know you're probably going to talk about it later on is, um, is I've got to get people to trust me in seconds. So I've got to, um, uh, I've got to build up rapport 
really quickly with people mm. and get people to like me and then trust me. And that sometimes, I think, you know, you can study it for for years. It's, I think people will like you and trust you literally within seconds. But I've got the awareness to work out that sometimes I'm not connecting with somebody and I have to do different things and use different language to actually... And then, and then I see it in their eyes and I see it in their demeanour and their body language of when they start to like me and when they start to trust me. And that might be as simple as um, cracking a joke or something or just making somebody laugh. You know, you've got to be a human being. Like financial advisors are perceived to be, you know, boring, um, don't listen, um, pushy, don't speak plain English, etc. So I've got to be aware of that. And that's what I've got to do with people. And I just build up rapport very quickly and it might, when I say very quick, it might take a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes, just to build up rapport with people, then get them to, because if I am a financial advisor, if they don't like me, they certainly won't trust me, and they won't do business with me, basically. Trust is such an important part of, of business, isn't it? It's built Absolutely. Trust, whether, it's, whether it's working with business partners, whether it's working with clients. Yeah. Um, trust is something, I think people... My perception is that a lot of people, not all people, but a lot of people sort of brush past that and think they they want to make a sale. They want to Mm -hmm. convert a a lead into a sale Mm -hmm. and they don't take that time to build up that rapport. And Mm -hmm. so you were a financial advisor for 34 years. Yeah. You spent a long time doing it. What, how did the, the industry change over those 34 years? Oh, immensely. Um, Again, if I'm honest, when I was working for a leading bank, um, promoting ultimately selling their products, um, they weren't good products. Um, they were very narrow to people. Basically, there was mostly they were mostly savings plans and lump sum investments. Now, the arena I'm in now has changed immensely. The wealth management group we're part of now, yeah. you know, I deal with saving people inheritance tax. Um, you know, making sure your, your money doesn't run out in retirement, um, lots of other things. It's, it's changed immensely. And what, how it's changed as well is back in the 80s when I started, um, early 90s, you didn't really have to have much technical knowledge to be a financial advisor. It was all sales driven. But then through the mid 80s, they started bringing in more regulation, which was there to protect the clients. Exams were brought in. A lot of people who were good salespeople at the time didn't pass the exams because they didn't have the technical ability. They were good talkers, but they didn't know the stuff. So basically, um, I can't remember the figures, but in, when I started in the late 80s, it was something like oh, 300,000 financial advisors. There's only someone like, well, a third, of, not even that now, because people have just couldn't handle it, couldn't pass the exams couldn't handle the pressure of passing the exams and basically gone out. So the way I look at that in a positive way, there's much more um, opportunities for financial advisors like me now because there's less of us. But the, but, the, but the arena has changed dramatically. You know, we had to, in 2000, I think it was 13, we had to pass the Diploma in Financial Planning, which is a degree level, second year degree level. And that forced a lot of people out of the profession because they couldn't do it, they couldn't handle it, couldn't handle the pressure. I could, we passed all the exams first time. So like I said, came from school, couldn't wait to get out by doing something I enjoy. It's quite easy to pass the exams then, isn't it? Yeah. 
Well, let's fast forward to when you started in wealth management. So, sort of mm-hmm. 2007, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what made you pivot? What made you change into wealth management? And, and just tell me a little bit, of, like some some of my listeners might not know what wealth management is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The definition as well. <clears throat> well, we we um, left Barclays in 2001. Um, we went into a business with my current co-director. And it was primarily a mortgage business. But again, um, that didn't work out, again, if I'm honest. And then all of a sudden, we we went as uh, independent financial advisors, probably in 2003. And then we got approached then by our current wealth management company, St. James's Place Wealth Management, huge company. We got approached in 2006, and we joined them in 2007. So um, that was the best approach that I've ever had in my life for them to actually approach us for us to join them because we went into a different arena then. Um, St. James's Place uh, aren't an independent financial advisor company. They're what is called restricted advice, but that means they can go out and pick the best fund managers in the world uh, to manage their funds for them. So I feel very comfortable with that because Martin Thomas doesn't have to do that. They do that. The big group does that. So basically, then it changed immensely then because the products and the ideas and the solutions, if you look at the St. James's Place brand, they are aimed at sort of um, high net worth individuals. You know, the branding is very sort of upmarket, very posh. Um, again, if I'm honest, a bit boring, but they're having a rebrand, ex- huge rebrand exercise going on at the moment where I just think they're going to bring it into the current situation that we're in because it's been a bit stale, that brand has over the last... 10, 15 years. And um, and so you help high net worth individuals what deve- uh, like develop their wealth, increase their wealth. Uh, what what arenas do you do that? Do you do that in property? Do you do that in stock markets? Do you, what, 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 what do you yeah. advise? Do you <clears throat> I mean, ultimately, what I want to do is protect people's wealth, get people to be wealthier, um, taking the risks that they're accustomed to and they understand, that's, that's half the thing. I, I do a lot of times managing people's expectations um, by talking about risk is a very a negative word. Um, but when you put it in the context, you know, we all risk crossing the road, we all risk flying. And it's the same with investments. It depends on the degree of risk that you want to take. So I spend a lot of time managing um, expectations with that. Um, but ultimately, what I want to do as well is grow people's wealth so they, they can leave their um, wealth to their beneficiaries because we tend to find a lot of people, well, that's retired people, um, want a decent income. Um, they don't cash in all their money. They leave it to their beneficiaries. So it's our aim is to make their beneficiaries wealthier. But a lot of things we do is one thing as well, is we te- protect beneficiaries from what's called inheritance tax. So that's a tax in this country that if you've got over a certain level of assets, um then we can mitigate that by putting in place solutions that saves people. Inheritance tax, perfectly legal. It's all there for a reason, but a lot of people don't understand it, don't know about it. They, If they don't understand it, they don't know about it. They're reluctant to actually come out of procrastination and actually look at it. But primarily, to answer your question, the solutions that I put in place for people are mostly um, stock market linked. Um, that's where we go. I help people buy properties commercial properties and help people buy their houses. But primarily, yes, you can they get wealthier by us helping them to buy them assets as well as investing in um, solutions that makes people wealthier over the long term. 
So one of the things that I do is I help startups and small businesses develop and, and build their businesses. It sounds to me that you're sort of further down the journey for the individual yeah, yeah. And, and, and and making money is one thing, but actually what I say is keeping money is harder. It yeah. sounds to me that you're actually in that sort of keeping money and developing their money once they've established a, a decent chunk, some, some essence of wealth, whatever yeah. that value is. Um, yeah. How would you say, um, how would you explain to me uh, in, in simple terms uh, for my benefit, um, <laughs> how do you keep people's money? How do you, how do you maintain their wealth? How do you, how do you keep them not necessarily not paying the taxes? Cause I know we, we are a compliance business. I, yeah, I, work, yeah. you know, I, I work in, you, you comply with the law that's there. If it's wrong, yeah. the law, the, the government should change it. But how mm-hmm. would you sort of describe, how do you keep people's money? You said you invest in stocks, but, uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and some property, but what's the sort of strategy that you help people keep their money? I think the starting point is really simple. Um, when I when I first meet people and they've got money to invest, that's that's easy. Um, the starting point I'd say to people is tell me what's important to you now, going forward in five years, ten years, fifteen years, etc. So what I then do, it sounds very simple, is I strip out of that capital what they need to keep back for the short term and for expenditure or for planned expenditure. It's the balance of the money that they don't need to keep back as a reserve, a cash reserve in a bank account building society. It's the it's the rest of the money then that gets invested. Now, I can speak to people and I can ask them what their cash reserve is, what they want to keep back as a cash reserve. And I'm not going to argue with anybody. If somebody says I've got half a million pounds in the bank, I want to keep back £200,000, I'm not going to give an opinion that says that's too much. It's their cash reserve. I'm never going to win the argument with somebody who says they want to keep back X, Y, Z. So once they want to keep back short-term money that they can get access to, we invest the rest of the money then for the medium to long-term, define that as five years plus. And what's your, not view, What what's, so I, I just did a post on LinkedIn today about Warren Buffett's just come out and he's given $4.1 billion of his money to charity. Yeah. What's, the, what's the role of charity, philanthropic, uh, uh, ventures for for your for the people that you help and you protect. We'll be back after a quick break. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. I mean, I haven't read the article about Warren Buffett giving that kind of money away, but, it, but it, what, what percentage of his overall wealth is the money that he's given away? To see what I mean, it sounds a lot of money to me and you, but it's probably a very... A, I think he's given away percentage. something like half of his wealth. Yeah. He was like 60-odd billion or something like that, and he's given yeah. away in total something around sort of 20 or 30 billion so far. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what Has that changed? Because, uh, like... Yeah, he he does it through uh, Bill Gates's yeah. foundation, yeah. 
and that's something relatively new. It's sort of like the last 10, 12 years or something. Yeah. Bill Gates yeah. really worked on that foundation. <clears throat> but have you seen that people now are more willing to give to charities or, or like what what's how does charity fit into wealth create wealth management? Again, I'm gonna be honest, um, it doesn't come up in conversation. Okay. Charity stuff. Um maybe I should bring it up in the conversation. Um I think people very generally um Again, I'm going to be honest with you. It's, if I go and see somebody, doesn't matter what political persuasion they are, if I can save them income tax by putting in solutions in place that saves them that and saves inheritance tax, people think of themselves first, and that's that's life. Yeah. You, yeah. Know, you know, and um, you know, I, I'm not going to beat around the bush about it. So you could be, you know, an arch, whatever you are. You know, if you, if I, I've never had anybody saying to me. Um, yeah, if you could save me that money, I don't agree with that. That money should go into the public service. People generally don't trust how governments spend money. Yeah. So if you've given them an opportunity to actually save income tax or inheritance tax or capital gains tax, yeah. they'll bite your hand off. That's what I find. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, uh, yeah, it's uh, um, charity is something that I, I think it's it, it now. The, the, shall I be honest? The answer I thought you were going to say was that more people are looking to to, to give some of their wealth to charity now than they would have done ten years yeah. ago, twenty yeah. years ago. But that's really interesting because yeah. um, people, obviously, the people that you're working with are more. They want to look after their wealth for their for their beneficiaries, for their for their for their children, for their Absolutely. whatever family members, whatever it is. So yeah. I think it's really interesting that that. Um, that people, as I say, like keeping wealth and developing yeah. wealth is, mm-hmm. is is critical for the people that you work for. I know, excuse me, I know a lot of people, because I talk to charities that actually receive money when people die, basically, and, you know, the cancer charities, et cetera, et cetera, receive a lot of money. Most of their income comes from people bequeathing money to them in their wills um, when they die. It, it doesn't, that doesn't come up into conversation um, that much when I talk to people, but obviously, you know, I don't know what the statistics are in this country, but probably probably cancer charities, I think the RNLI, you know, in this country, receive the bulk of their their income from people bequeathing money on yeah. death. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And um, But then that's, well, you can look into that as much as you want because they, you've got people dying out there that haven't got beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. So are they going to then say, well, I'll leave that to the local church? So there is billions of billions of pounds, not billions, being passed down through to charities through bequeathments on death, basically. Right, right, I understand. Okay, let's talk about your Facebook group, Martin Thomas Financial Truth. So yeah. uh, you set it up last year, middle yeah. of COVID. Yeah. Well, can you just tell me a little bit about what your aim is to to do with this this group that you're developing? Yeah. Um, February last year, 2020, I've been following them. Um, a guy on social media who was a personal development guy and he was very direct and I'd been following him and thought right I've got to get out of my comfort zone here and actually go and meet him so I made that decision to go and meet him so I met him in February 2020 and then the first things um, he did was actually started looking or asking me what my values were so then values then were extracted out of my brain <laughs> over a space of two to three weeks by lots of values and then it was narrowed down to like the five top values and from that then um, we developed a personal brand Martin Thomas 
the financial truth because that's what people get with me. I'm not going to beat around the bush and tell people things they don't they, they want to hear. I'll tell people things that they sometimes don't want to hear. Um, so that's what, how the brand was developed in, um, I think it was launched on Facebook, LinkedIn in September last year, 2020. Um, what the aim of that, of that brand is, or that um, page, is to actually, is I'm a different, I'm a different financial advisor to most financial advisors. How do I determine that? Um, I found the real me four or five years ago. You can see the dress code I'm wearing today. It's not shirt and tie, fluffy stuff, everything else. I sometimes wear my red shoes when I go and see people. It's me, you know, I, that, that's what radiates from me is the, the real me. So the Facebook page was designed, Martin Thomas, The Financial Truth. That's what people get. And this saying some of them, um, statements such as, I'll demystify the financial jargon that goes through my industry and put it into plain English, i.e. your language. I'll tell you if it's right for you, and I'll tell you if it's wrong. Because that's me, that's what my values are. If I see somebody and I, and I, I you know, it would be easy enough to make a quick um, sale by getting them to do something, but it's not right for them, I'll tell them. Mm. I'll say, this is not right for you, you shouldn't be doing this. So then that's the, that's that's so that Martin Thomas, The Financial Truth, came from my values being examined. So what I do on the page is I do videos of how I've found people's, how I've helped them find their pain points in their life and their financial planning. So what, because some people, most people, whenever a busy day, you, everybody else included, come home, you know, feet up, tally on, music on, whatever, a couple of drinks, whatever. Most people don't sit down and examine their potential pain points in their financial planning. They don't. You know, I, I meet people all the time that have things stacked in envelopes, in cupboards, they don't look at them, they don't understand it, they don't do anything. So my videos on the page are all about how, in real-life examples, I've helped somebody identify a pain point and what solution I put in place. There's no products mentioned. It's all about, and it's because their videos are real-life scenarios, they're core. I'm not telling, I'm, I'm telling a story, but I'm telling a story that happened last week. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what, what's the, what's the aspiration? What's the what's the intention for? Is there a number of people you want in your community? Is there a is, is there is there a result? Is there a metric that you want to achieve with this group? Well, there's a guy on television called Martin Thomas, uh, sorry Martin Lewis, who does products to do with banking and um, savings accounts. I mean, I can laugh a joke. I probably want to be known as Martin Thomas, the financial truth that deals with investments because I've got a good story to tell. Um, I've got wealth of experience, um, you know, being there, wore the T-shirt and everything else. I, I want to help people, but I want to keep people to identify uh, by looking at a video and thinking maybe two months later, yeah, I remember Martin putting that video up. That's, that's resonated with me now. It might not resonate with them at the time they were looking at the video, but that's what I'm trying to do is to get into that procrastination market where people generally don't have a look at themselves, don't know what they're doing, don't know where they're going in their life. Uh, not planning for death, it sounds hard, but that's life, people don't. So when I see people, um, if I look at company directors or shareholders, a simple question would be, you're running a limited company, you're the key guy here, what's going to happen to the company if you die? Tell me. Now, they don't ask themselves that because they're so busy making money and trying to grow their businesses, but I've got to put people on the spot to find out what they think about that. 
We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. So, so do you sell your your services part of the 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 Facebook group? Do you if, do you say if you want to? if you want to contact me for yeah. independent financial advice then reach out yeah. to me in this place yeah absolutely yeah I, I tend to um call to action at the end i'll say if this resonates with you and what i tend to do as well is when i do a video i'll actually put some text up with it as well so the text accompanies the video um and i get help with doing that by my personal development guy he's very very quick so basically that's all i want to do really is like I saved somebody £50,000 of inheritance tax last week, clients, right? Mm. So I'm going to put that out. There's no names mentioned, but it's the scenario of how they how they had the money, how they didn't understand what the problem was. He didn't understand that there was a £50,000 of inheritance tax problem for a starter because he didn't know what the rules were. Mm. Then how I put in place a solution and how that solution then is going to save that person £50,000 of inheritance tax. So it's all trying to relate to, like I said, I keep on repeating myself about identifying the pain point because inheritance tax in this country, um, there's five to six billion collected by the Treasury every year. You don't have to pay it. It's not like income tax pays you earn. If you if you consult a good financial advisor like me, you could avoid inheritance tax. It's as simple as that. But people pay it because they don't consult people. They don't understand it, and they die. And they pay, and their beneficiaries pay it. It's all legal above board. You don't have to pay it. Perfect. Thank you. Um, so, you took on a challenge uh, this year mm-hmm. to walk the coastal path. I think you said it's eight hundred and seventy miles in yeah, yeah. just under a hundred days, ninety-seven yeah. days. So, um, so what? What? What's? What's? What's your? What's? What was the inspiration to to do that challenge? Um, Probably again comes from my military days. Um, tell a story. Uh, when I was in the in the military, I always used to volunteer for the hard things that were challenging. Um, and bearing in mind, I wasn't very good at, in school at school sports. So all of a sudden, five years later, different person. Mm. Um, we actually won a competition uh, in the military that was allegedly one of the uh, hardest military skills competition in the world. It's based in Mid Wales, and it's an arduous two-day event of not just covering ground, it's actually attested on um, battle situations. Now, we won that. We beat we beat the top teams in the UK back in 2000, sorry, 1986. Um, so that's, a, that's a, a skill or that's an award that I feel immensely proud of, that I was part of a team that won probably one of the hardest military skills competitions in the world. Mm. Um, so I, remember, I can't remember what your question was. I'll link it to that, sorry. The, 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 the inspiration for doing the coastal park. Yeah, the inspiration was um, I like a challenge all the time. Um, and 
As part of the guy I work with, um, I do early morning walks of cardio uh, because um, I think if you get out in the morning at six, half a six, the effort you put into that, it sort of gives you your frequency for the day. It's a lot of people, if I say to them, oh, I got walking hard in the morning, they say, oh, you must be tired by um, 11 o'clock. No, it's the other way around. It gives you the energy for the day. So what inspired me to do that is I just thought about one day, I'd always like to walk the coastal path of Wales, 870 miles. Obviously, couldn't do it during lockdown, so I thought, well, I'll do the equivalent of it around my local area. So I, I was determined to do it in under 100 days. I actually did it in 80, sorry, 97 days. But that took personal discipline. And I'm like that in business as well. If I'm saying I'm going to do it, I do it. So if I said, and I did it for a charity, and I'm going to be honest, I didn't get out of bed in the morning when I didn't feel like doing it, thinking I was going to let the charity down. I got out to the bed in the morning because I didn't want to let myself down. So basically, I was driven to do, on average, nine miles of walk in a day. Some days, if I was busy, I missed it. Um, I think one weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I walked something like 32 miles in two days. Just to catch up, I was determined to do it. What gave me the inspiration for it? Just me saying I'm going to do it committed to do it and it, it is discipline it's personal discipline to actually get out of bed in the morning do it and not fail not to do it i was determined to get to the end and not well i was going to achieve it basically i think you like a challenge don't you you like absolutely yeah 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 definitely do you, do you find how so so it's a slightly different uh definition of challenge but do you find that so I, I get that you physically want to challenge yourself and you want to achieve something and there's a start, middle and an end. Yeah. How do you feel about people challenging you in your business arena? Like, how would you feel if when you're sitting down with someone and someone you give advice, you give what you think is the right advice and someone comes to you and says, well, you're wrong. I want to save more. I want to, I want to invest more. I want to, how, how do you approach those sort of difficult questions? Um, I think if you ask people the right questions, you get the right answer. Um, so it's, it, there's a saying again, it's an old fashioned saying, telling isn't selling. Um, a, a really good financial advisor will ask really good questions and ask people what's important to them. That's, once I've done a preamble with somebody, I'll normally say, right, we're going to have this meeting today. Tell me what you want to get out of this meeting. So it's their agenda, not my agenda. And then they'll, they'll say to me, well, what we want to do is do this or do that. So is that important to you? Yes, it is. And then we'll start asking questions then about what they want to keep back, what, what tax they want to save, what they want to do, what's their attitude to risk. Attitude to risk is a big problem for financial advisors because I take clients through a real half an hour discussion about risk taking and I put it into context when people have to explain to them, like if I said to you, Mark, tell me about your, um, what, what's your risk profile? Most people would say, oh, I don't want to take any risk and I want the lowest risk possible. But it doesn't pan out that way. When you explain to people about risk and time horizons, how long they're going to have that money invested for, and then you show people that about taking more risk maybe and, and, and history of that, people will change their mind and say, yeah, I'll go with you on that one. Um, and again... I only give one person, I only give people a guarantee, your money's going to go up and your money's going to go down. What are you going to get back at the end? I'm not going to guarantee you anything because I can't. You know, I'm going to be straight with you. So I, I manage people's expectations. So, for example, another story, 
when lockdown started last um, March, April, we, you know, stock markets all around the world were free falling. And we had, we got 400 clients. I think we probably had 10 or 15 of them that rang us. Most people just accepted that things were going to go up. They, they were going to go down. And when the people that rang us, we had one person took £6,000 out, out of £42 million worth of the money under management. So people kept their money in because they were set up the right way. Their, 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 their expectations were managed. And we didn't I didn't have a lot of grief of people. You know, if you don't manage people's expectations, when things don't go very well, they'll give you grief. They want all their money out. But we didn't have any grief. We just went through it. I mean, a really good year last year. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. Um, so what's what's the plan for the next, I don't know, two to five years for, for Martin? Yeah, I always joke and laugh and joke about this because I'm um, mentally and physically fit. I'm 62 and I always joke with people, I don't look it. And that's me not being big-headed because I know I don't and because I keep myself active mentally, physically. So the plan is, I think, generalising, most people at my age, at 62, are like clock-watching and thinking, oh, you know, counting down the days and put the slippers on and sit in front of the telly. When people actually say to me, I've just retired after 40 years, that bores me, that statement does. It, it, it doesn't resonate with me at all. I just think, oh, you know, because that, that's, the, that's what most people want to do, but not me. So what the plan is, um, I'm 62. I'll go on working until, until I stop enjoying it. Now, <laughs> when's that going to come? I'm really enjoying it at the moment. You can probably tell by my my sort of uh, demeanour, etc. Um, and I think I want to go probably a minimum of another 10 years and build the business up to a significant value because then when I get out, um, I will have a significant sum of money. Right. You know, we're not talking hundreds of thousands of euros, we're talking a lot more than that. So that's the aim, is to get out. And the reason I started working with personal development people before Steve was I didn't want to get to the end of my life and regret not achieving my potential. Now, where you draw that line is, am I going to be Richard Branson? Probably not. But I think you, you can't be an overnight success. It takes time to build up, and that's the journey I'm on at the moment. Absolutely. All right, so we're coming to the end of the interview. I asked the same six questions to all of my guests. No, no, no. Quick fire questions. They don't need a quick fire answer. but They don't, right, okay. They don't, Whatever, however you want to explain. Yeah, yeah. Right, first one is, what's the best decision that you made? best decision I made was personal or business or both? Whatever your choice. Business, personal. I think on the business side was to actually join St. James's Place back in 2007. Um, personal, she's probably listening to get married to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they were the two. Um, and the third one is to actually seek um, help in growing me as an individual by seeking people to help me with my self-development basically I think I, it took me it took me into my 50s to work that out um, why I didn't do it before I'll never know but if I did it probably 20-30 years ago I'd be a billionaire and not a millionaire uh, with what I know now but anyway it's not too late to carry, to carry on plenty of time plenty of time what's the best piece of advice you've been given poor be yourself. Good answer. So, well, my, I was speaking to a, um, 
my business coach probably about five or six years ago. I remember sitting down with her and I used to go to networking meetings with shirts and ties and everything else and, you know, typical financial advice and stuff. She just said, why don't you be yourself? And that's what I did. And that's why I started to turn my life around by being who I am. So there's no air and graces, false mirrors, misty rooms, and all that stuff. You, you, you get what you see from me, what's on the tin. Do you think you you weren't being yourself? This is not one of the questions, but I just want to follow up. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think for for a while you weren't being true to yourself? I, no, I was probably trying to be a financial advisor. You know, wearing the right gear that everybody else wears, and trying to um, trying to be part of that sort of thing. And then I just worked it out one day. I just want to be different. I want to be me. Yeah. If everybody else chooses not to be themselves or not be like me, I'm going to. Like that's their problem, not my problem. Awesome. Um, who helped you most in your career? Who helped me most in my career? Um, cool, a mixture of people, really. Latterly or lately, um, the people I'm working with on my self-development events. Because what the way the guy I work with at the moment is all about personal development, business development, and um, making money, basically. So you've got to get yourself right personally before you work on other things your business will get better if your personal development is there so who's happening giving you the best best things lots of people um mentors stuff i read about and we do get good support by st james's place with the um, managers business development managers that uh, we work with i always will be adaptable to change i've got a problem with people saying, why don't you do it this way? Or why don't you do it that way? I'm quite, I'll, I'll change in a, in a cup of a pen. Mm. I think openness is really important and be yeah. change and be, be available for it. So I think that's great. Do you have any regrets? For, that's a good question. No, I, I, it, it's, it's not, um, when I say regrets, that could lead on to Resentments, and you know, and I know, there's people out there that harbour deep resentments about what what's happened in what's happened. I don't carry any resentments about anybody. Uh, I've had a challenging life with my eldest boy, with addiction issues, etc. Love him to bits. Clever lad, going to university now. He's going to be a barrister, top class barrister. Went through hell with him years ago. Don't hold any resentments against that one iota. I'm not the kind of person to harbour and bring bring my past with me. It's gone. Once the past is gone, it's gone in a second. So do I have any regrets? Probably, yeah. Not starting personal developments, probably in my 30s and my 40s. Right, right. Thanks. Um, what are you most proud of? Me. Uh, my family. Me. Um, who I am, basically. Um, I think I'm a decent guy. People say that. You know, um, good, good values, uh, kind of person if I'm in London and there's somebody somebody homeless on the streets. I, can't, I just can't walk past somebody. I give them money, you know, that's me. You know what I mean? What they choose to do with the money, I can't control that. But that's me, you know, I help people. Just a generally nice guy. Do you like yourself? This is not Sorry? Do you like yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Why not? Uh, no, uh, absolutely. Uh, and do you suffer with, this is not one of the questions, do you suffer with um, negative self-talk? No, not at all. Right. Not one iota. 
Um, again, if you look at the personal development world, um, there's people out there that fear success. I know that. There's people who are fearful of being successful. I can't work the logic of that out. Why would you fear success? But I know why people think that way. You know, I'm not good enough. My family will change. My friends will change. People will make me jealous. That's one big thing I've got in my favour. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care. If they, if they don't like me, that's up to them. I haven't got a problem with that, personally. I'm going to beat myself up about it. Oh, they don't like me. Absolutely. I think that's a very strong position to be in. And I, yeah. I, I just wish more more people were like you and just sort of liked themselves and and didn't give a shit about what other people think, which is... I think I think a lot of it, Mark, I don't have time for enough. I think a lot of it, what I've learned about myself in the last year is confidence, uh, aura, your aura goes before you, as they say, is because I do a lot of physical walk and I'm doing videos, you feel high when you've walked and you've pushed yourself through something. So if I've done that in the morning, set myself up for the day, the high frequency is there, and then all the things I've done to grow as a person, as the videos, etc., that breeds confidence as well. So I didn't really have negative self-talk in the past, but I certainly haven't got it now. Good. Uh, last question of the six is, yeah. what does legacy mean to you? Legacy means, um, well, ultimately, what you leave your kids when you die. Um, the guy I work with, his legacy is he wants to create an enormous legacy for his children. And one thing he does say is don't take things personally because you, you don't have a conversation with your kids just before you die. I haven't really generated much wealth for you because I took things personally in my life. I don't think to take things personally. Mm. You know, if this things to be learned, things to be done. You've got to do them, basically. But legacy, yeah, I just want to create a... I come from a working-class council estate background, and, I, 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 you know, when I when I get myself a um, big top-of-the-range Aston Martin, I've always said what drives me is I'm going to dye my hair pink and I'm going to drive around my local town and go back to the place where the people said, don't do it, don't it's never going to work, and I'll be there in my pink hair and my Aston Martin going... And your red shoes. My red shoes. Red shoes as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, last last thing. Uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Um, you can you can go onto Facebook and just search Martin Thomas, The Financial Truth. Um, we've got a business website, um, which is www.sjpp.co.uk forward slash PAM, P-A-M, which stands for Personal Asset Management. So it's www.sjpp.co.uk forward slash PAM. Brilliant. Thank you, Martin. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thanks, mate. Thanks very much. Yes.